following sermon is a ministry of Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at hiltonheadpca.com. Now let's turn our attention away from those things uh, into what I think is a wonderful series that we've been looking at, and that is the Songs for the Sojourn. Looking at the Psalms of Ascent, which are uh, the Psalms that were 120 through 134, they were Psalms that were written uh, for a people who were on a journey. Uh, not just tourists, not just travelers, uh, but people who had a destination in mind that these pilgrims, these travelers, uh, were heading towards Jerusalem. They were going three times a year. They were going to the great festivals. They were going into the cities, uh, the city there, uh, and they were worshiping. They were staying in the surrounding countryside. Uh, They were uh, doing all of of these things. Uh, And as they went, they had these songs that helped them focus. It it helped them think about why are we going? Why are we doing this? It encouraged them along the way. Uh, We've already seen that in Psalm 121, as they went along the way, uh, that they were encouraged not to look to the high places for their strength and for uh, their trust, but to look in the God uh, who is seated in the temple in Jerusalem. Uh, God himself is there. And it says, from where does my help come? My help comes in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. It doesn't come in anybody else. Every other name is a lesser name. Every other story is a derived story from the true story of God. Everything else is false uh, in a sense in that God himself is the ultimate truth. And so they walked along the way. And then we looked uh, last week and we said, as you go into Jerusalem, don't get distracted uh, in your walk, in your pilgrimage. As you're living your life, there's all kinds of things. You were designed to worship something. You were made in, uh, in that way. God said, I've designed you to worship something. Ultimately, it should be me. But there are all kinds of false suitors along the way. And so we give worth. We worship. I hope you've thought about this this week uh, as you've gone through the week. What is it that you value? What is it that is you are giving worth to uh, that may be taking the place of God in his worth, in his worship? And so hopefully you came this morning with an invigorated sense of, I want to worship God. Uh, I want to give him the worth that is due his name, that that's where I fully come alive. Uh, I come and find myself most in his presence. Uh, We said that the ultimate and chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. So we enjoy him. Now this week, uh, we are looking at, in the psalmist, we're skipping over a couple. And the reason we're skipping over a few is that uh, this is a shorter a series, uh, then there are uh, Psalms of Ascent, so I'm just picking out a number of these. It's not that some are better or worse, so if I didn't preach on 23 and 24, it doesn't mean you shouldn't read them and that there's not great value uh, in those. But in looking at Psalm 125 this morning, uh, what we're going to be looking at is this, this idea, this desperate need for security, uh, this desperate need that we have to know that everything is going to be Okay that we are in the hand of God, that we are secure in our salvation, that we're secure uh, in our life, uh, and that God is there taking care of us. And so listen to the words of the psalmist. This is God's word, a song of ascents. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, 
lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good, and to those who are upright in their hearts. But those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with evildoers. Peace be upon Israel. This is God's word. May he add his blessing to the reading and hearing of it. Let's pray. God, we ask now that your spirit would come and enlighten our hearts and our minds, that we would hear from you, and that we would humble ourselves and submit ourselves to your word. We sit under its authority today. To Christ be the glory. Amen. A few years ago, I was at, we were back in Rock Hill, and my former boss, the senior pastor Sandy Wilson at Second Presbyterian Church in Memphis had come to town and was speaking. And he uh, preached this wonderful little sermon. I don't remember where it was from, but he, it was three nice points and notes. And after, it was over at our Christian Academy. And after the sermon, after the teaching time, one of the young ladies from uh, the Christian Academy, from our church, uh, went to him, and I was standing there, and she said, Reverend uh, Wilson, have you been here before? And he said, no, I haven't. She said, have you ever preached this sermon here before? He said, well, no, I haven't been here before. Uh, And so, no, I haven't preached this sermon here before. And she said, that's weird. You were preaching, and I had your three points written right in the margins of my Bible. How, How can that be? And he looked over at me, and he said, Bill? And I said, I think I know. I've heard that sermon before. Because one of his very good friends, who all will be remained nameless, but is the pastor of another very large church in our denomination, had come and had preached that sermon and had given no credit to Sandy. And so Sandy looked down and he went, that rascal, he's preaching my sermons again. And so I don't want you to say that about me uh, this morning and go, that rascal, he's preaching Sinclair Ferguson's sermons. But if you've ever heard of Sinclair Ferguson, Sinclair Ferguson was the former uh, senior pastor at First Presbyterian Church in Columbia. Uh, He's a Scotsman, was the former pastor uh, at the Tron Church in Glasgow, and has just a one, he's one of my idols in in the faith. And I got to meet him not too many years ago. He's a big man. And how many of you are familiar with Seinfeld? Some of you? You know, they have those great sayings, like one was a long shaker, somebody who uh, holds onto your hand too long when you're shaking their hand, and you've got that awkward moment when you can't get it back, and then there's close talkers, who people who are a little too close. Well, I went, and I got a chance to meet my idol. And I shook his hand, and he's both a long shaker and a close talker. And it was so odd to just go, okay, okay, let go. You're in my space. And, uh, but he preached a sermon on Psalm 125. And I wrote these notes down. And as I studied this week, and as I looked, and as I kept going back uh, to his notes, I realized Sometimes in the life of a pastor, it's a communicator. Sometimes you need to communicate the truth that somebody else has already so well-defined. And so what you're going to hear today uh, is with my own personality and my own thoughts included an outline given by Sinclair Ferguson uh, in 2006 uh, at First Presbyterian Church in Columbia. So with that in mind, what we're going to look at today is this idea of security and trust. Think about security. Think about what in our culture... We look to, for security, investments. 
You study and look at your 401ks. You study and look at your mutual funds. You look at your assets. And you look and you think that you have security uh, with those things. There was a study that just came out of the 10 best companies to work for for long-term security. Uh, and one of the companies said if you worked at their company for, 10, or for 30 years uh, and you put away your portion of your retirement and they matched it, at the end of that 30 years, you'd have $3.8 million uh, adjusted for inflation uh, for your retirement. And the concept was you'd be secure then. You'd be safe if you had $3.8 million in your bank account. Or we look around and we've learned over the years that people said that real estate was a great investment and that you should put all of your money into real estate. And if you had lots of real estate holdings and all of these things, that you'd be secure in those things. There'd be a security in that. Or maybe in relationships. I was a pastor of college and singles and I heard regularly from college and singles, oh, I need to get married. Then I'll be safe. Then I'll be secure. If I just have this boyfriend or girlfriend when you're in junior high school or high school or college, if I just get this, if I'm just in this particular relationship, then I'm going to be safe and secure. But isn't it interesting how over the last 10 years especially, those lies have been exposed. When your investment account dropped by 70%, and all of a sudden... You didn't have any money really left for what you thought was going to be there. When all of a sudden you looked at your real estate portfolio and you realized that you were upside down, that you owed more than you had in it, and the bank said, we'd like our money now, and you found yourselves in incredibly difficult places, or when that relationship was gone, when that person left, when you didn't get that invitation, when all of that fell apart. You see, it's very interesting. There's an, there's an inverse relationship to the acclimation, or the, uh, not acclimation, to the uh, gaining of wealth, of the gaining of all of these things that we uh, bring in and say it's security. It's those people who have the most who are usually the most insecure. Because they're terrified to lose it. So isn't it interesting that the lie of Satan in the world today is if you gain all of this stuff, then you're going to be secure. And it's the people who have the most stuff who are mainly the most insecure people. Now, the psalmist was coming along in the same way. And this isn't a modern problem, by the way. Uh, The psalmist was coming and he was saying, hey, guess what? In an agrarian culture, in a culture where I have to put a seed in the ground and then wait... Where does my security come? One of my good friends in the world is a cotton farmer out of uh, Chester County. And he says one of the most fascinating things is that he can take two identical seeds of cotton, put them in identically uh, cultivated ground, water them the same way, feed them and fertilize them the same way, protect them the same way, and one will germinate and one won't. One will bear multiple bowls of cotton and one will bear none or very few. And he says, Bill... My security isn't in the seed quality. It's not in the ground quality. My security has to come in something greater than that. And so the psalmist is writing, my security has to come in something beyond this world and what this world offers to us. And for many of you, you can relate to him so well, can't you? Because you wake up every day wondering and worrying. Am I going to have enough? Do I have enough to make it through this week? Do I have enough to make it through this month? Do I have enough that when, in my estimation, I'm supposed to retire, I've got enough to be secure and safe and sound? 
or for parents maybe, as I am one who is on the cusp of that transition of sending your kids back uh, to college or maybe off to college for the first time, or to send your children to school, or as just your children grow up in front of you, you look and you wonder, are they going to be okay? And your security is shaken. Well, the psalmist has several things to say for us and to us. And the first is this. The true believer is never shaken. The true believer is never shaken. Those who trust in the Lord, verses 1 and 2, are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. What he is saying is true believers cannot be moved. They cannot be ultimately shaken. And he says that because look what he compares it to. He says, he doesn't say that those who trust in the Lord are like Jerusalem. He doesn't say those who trust in the Lord are are like Jerusalem. Because think about, again, the psalmist is writing this. And he comes in and he's walked into Jerusalem. And let's say he's from a little town uh, out in the countryside. And he's never been to the big city. This was the big city. I wonder if any of you uh, were from little rural areas of the country. And then you went to the big city for the first time. What was it like? You were amazed at the size of the buildings, at just everything that was there. And that's what this guy would have been thinking. He would have walked in and gone, wow, look at the walls. Look at how intricately everything is made. Look at all of the fortifications. Look at the buttresses. Look at the watchtowers. Look at how Jerusalem is made. Oh, this can be my security. This, I'm going to be just like Jerusalem. And then maybe as he navigated his way through Jerusalem, he came to the temple. Oh, what a spectacular sight it would have been. Go and read about uh, what the temple looked like when you see and you recognize. We don't know exactly when this song was written. Maybe it was written after Solomon created his temple. And so you walked in and you saw the massive stones placed one upon another. And you saw the gold inlay. And you saw all of the fortunes of the world and all the kingdoms have been brought there to the temple. And he went, oh, I can be as secure as this. Nothing could move this temple. Maybe you even walked up. Have you ever done something like this? You walk up and you just kind of push on the wall. You just want to see what it's like. Maybe he did that. And he pushed against the wall and he went, that's a secure wall. The psalmist says, those who trust in the Lord aren't like a city whose walls will eventually crumble and fall. Those who trust in the Lord are not like even a temple, which in all of its magnitude in 70 AD is going to come crashing to the ground. And the heat of its fires are going to be so much that the gold is going to melt and it's going to mix right in with all of the dust and it's going to come down through the crags and through the cracks. It's going to fall apart one day. No, those who trust in the Lord are like the thing that the city and the temple are built upon. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved. Those who trust in the Lord are like the mountain, the thing that it is fixed upon. And what he's really bringing about in a modern sense is this. Maybe back then, and Jeremiah had to deal with this in his ministry, that there was a thought that if I'm just around the temple, if I'm just sort of engaged in worship, if I'm just sort of around the worship of the temple, then I'm going to be fine. 
And Jeremiah said, your hope is not in your proximity to the temple. Your hope is not even in your participation in the temple worship. He was trying to to come and to take down a false belief. And today, it goes a little different, but it goes something like this. Your hope is in the fact that you came to church today, that you're within proximity to the church, that you're a member in good standing, that you read your Bible, uh, that you go to a Christian school, that you homeschool, that you go to a Christian college, that you date Christian people, that you married a Christian person, and you say, my life is built around and in the proximity of the church and the things that pertain to the church. And the psalmist says, that's not your security. Your hope was never in those things. Your hope is in and should be upon the mountain upon which that was built. And we know the mountain that it was built upon. Mount Zion, the mountain of God. And we realize that Christ is the foundation of our lives. And he says that your hope should be built upon Christ and him as a mountain. Him as your bedrock and foundation. We're going to flesh that out more in a second. But he says, so go and look. And those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion. And then he goes, and the picture that he has there, that the mountains surround Jerusalem. If you've ever, how many of you have been to Jerusalem? A few of you have been on journey there. What a great journey that would be one day. I used to think I didn't want to go. Like, what? what's the big deal? It's Jerusalem. Boy, you read the Old Testament and you read the scriptures and you read the New Testament and go, I think I'd kind of like to go someday. And if you've been there, you know something about Jerusalem, that the mountains around Jerusalem are higher than Jerusalem, and they raise up to 100 to 150 and 200 feet above the city. And he says that as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people. And the security comes, not in fact, now interesting, those mountains aren't one big circle around Jerusalem. There's entrances and there's points and there's ways to get in. And so what he's really saying is this, the security that comes in the name of the Lord, the security that comes isn't an impenetrable security. It's not that no bad thing will ever enter into Jerusalem. It's simply, it's set, and one writer put it this way, the grand sentinels of the mountains that stood outside of Jerusalem, so the Lord stands as a sentinel around his people, as a guardian who is there. And he watches, and yes, things do come into the life of a believer. Difficult things, enemies and marauders do come in, and they pillage the city, and they attack the life of the believer. But guess what? It's done within the very sight lines of God who watches them come in. Our God never sleeps, and he never slumbers. Our God will never let anything move your foot and shake you down so far. See, security that comes is not compared to belonging in the visible reality. But it comes, and we need the security that comes from what we are built upon. These mountains that surround us, that God is saying, this is who you are. This is what you're surrounded by. This is your hope that comes to the believer. It's important to know this truth. It's important to know this truth before difficulty comes. Too many times we try to have a crash course and learn in the midst of trial. What the scripture constantly is telling us is, would you learn these things before you get that phone call that you desperately don't want to get? Before you get the test results that tell you that your body is riddled with cancer. Before you walk into your home and you see your beloved's ring left on the dresser. Before something happens, see that God is constantly watching over you. 
And though difficult things enter in, though these battles come, uh, though these trials come, though those phone calls come, though those bodies are eaten up with cancer, though death enters and a loved one dies, though those things happen, we can have a trust and a security that our God has watched it and somehow in his providence has allowed it and ordained it to come to pass. That it didn't just happen and catch us off guard. But we can say, I don't understand it fully. But I can trust that this passed through the mountain of God. I can trust that I am secure as Jerusalem is secure upon that mountain. Upon it, I am secure as well. And nothing comes to me that didn't pass through the look of the guardians of God. Of his look upon me. And therefore, I can trust and not be afraid in him It's important to know these things and to know that God is saying to you today, my eyes are upon you. My eyes are fixed on you. Some of you today wonder if God's looking at you at all. Some of you are wondering if all the things that have happened and are happening in your life, if God remembers you at all. The psalmist is saying to you, yes, He is watching you. He is your security. And he is strong enough. The next thing that we're going to, the first point is this, that those who trust in the Lord will never be shaken. The second is this that we need to learn in the second, uh, in the third verse, is that wickedness will not prevail. We aren't shaken because we know that our foundation is upon the Lord, not upon those things which look good to the eye, Not upon this church, because guess what? If you become a member of this church, I can assure you of one thing above all else. You will be disappointed at some point. Agreed? Church members, have you been disappointed in this church over the years? It's okay to say you have been. The elders are big boys. They can take it. Um, But we're going to disappoint you. But if your foundation is upon Christ, then you can manage that disappointment. Your portfolio can disappear. And you're not devastated. You're hurt. You're shaken maybe a little bit. You're just kind of like, whoa, what are we going to do? Okay, but God's got this. Because the next thing the psalmist says is this. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. The scepter. Scepter was a visible sign of supreme and sovereign power and authority in the land. We're in a democratic society, and so we don't have scepters. But if you had the king, and the person who had the scepter had ultimate authority, and what the psalmist was saying was this. He was saying that God holds the scepter. God is holding it. And that he has supreme authority, and he has supreme power to reign and to rule in the land. That wickedness never takes it from him. You see, he's saying that he's declaring that God has the final authority in your life. And though evil may enter into your life, may cancer may enter into your life, divorce and abandonment, uh, death can enter into your life. All the things that enter into our lives, they can enter into our lives, but they don't have the final word in your life, folks. They don't have the final word. The one who holds the scepter has the word. Now, Satan is going to be a liar, and he's going to hold up something in his hand, and he's going to wield it at you, and he's going to say, see, I've got authority and power. And what you have to recognize and what you have to be able to perceive is that is a false power. 
it is not an ultimate power, and it is only borrowed for a certain amount of time. And that God is saying, I have ultimate authority in your life. I'm the one with all the power. I'm the one who can do immeasurably more than you ever could have asked or imagined. I am the one who has overcome death. I am the one who has overcome the grave. I am the one who has promised you all of these things in my son Christ. And I am seated on my throne today. You may think it's a pat thing that I say, and, but it is something that brings me incredible comfort. When a day begins and something may not be going right, if I'm talking to Lisa or I'm talking to the staff or I'm talking to somebody, I can go and I can remember and I have to actually say, well, all this stuff is going on, but I know this, God's still seated on his throne. Why is that good news? Because if the throne is empty, let's go have fun at the beach. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. But if we know who's on the throne, and we're secure in the fact that his eyes are upon us, you can be at peace. You can be secure in the middle uh, of these things. That entering in, evil entering into our lives doesn't mean that God has lost us. Actually, what the psalmist was doing was he was pointing back to an incredible promise of God from Genesis uh, chapter 10. When he said these words that the scepter of wickedness shall not rest, listen to these words from Genesis chapter 10, speaking to Judah, interesting. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub from the prey. My son, you have gone up. He stooped down, he crouched as a lion, and as a lioness who dares rouse him, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall the obedience of the peoples. What he was doing, and the psalmist may or may not even have known what he was doing, but he was pointing to the true one who was coming through Judah. He was pointing to Christ, and he was saying Christ is going to come, and he's going to reign, and he's going to hold the scepter, and he is going to rule in your lives. And if you know that in your lives, you can have a security that brings you a peace in the midst of distress. It brings you a peace in the midst of difficult times to know that, first of all, God is on his throne. And anything that comes through the mountains towards you, he has sent, and he has allowed That he has put those things there for you in that way. And that there is never so much in your life. Look at the words there, the second part. Lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. What the psalmist is saying is this. Difficult things are going to come into your life. Temptations are going to come into your life. All of this stuff is going to come, but not so much that it will overwhelm you and cause you to walk away from the Lord. We all like to quote a Bible verse that's not there. The Lord will never give you more than you can handle. It's not there, by the way. But what the psalmist was doing and what Paul in Romans 8.28 uh, was picking up, on, not 8.28, on 1 Corinthians 10.13, when he said, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. What he's saying is this, is at the middle of the day, when you're down on your knees, when you don't think you can take any more, when those enemies who've come through the mountains, who've come under God's sight, and you go, God, I know this is from you, and I know your hand is upon it, but I don't know that I can take any more. I'm about to give up. When you can relate to Elijah, who went out into the desert and said, God, I just want to die. 
Can't I just go to sleep and wake up in your presence? It's at that moment that the king and the Lord of the universe, Christ himself, is enough strength for you. And he's saying to you, I will nourish you. Think about the picture of Elijah. What a great picture of this. Where it says that the son of man, the angel of the Lord, actually stood there with Elijah. And what did he do? Elijah, I had so many expectations for you. You started out so strong. But now look at you. You're a bumbling mess of tears. And all you do is whine and complain. And you have such little faith. I'm just going to let you stay out here. By the way, if you're new to the church, that's not what he said, is it? What he said was, Elijah, get up and eat. He had prepared a meal for him, and he had gotten water for him. He said, Elijah, I am going to be your strength when you do not have the strength necessary to make it through, and I will take you to a safe place. Do you remember where he took Elijah? He took him to Mount Carmel. He took him to the place where Moses had seen God. He took him to that cleft in that rock and he said, I want you to see that I am always enough for you. You can be secure in that. And that's where faith comes in. That's where faith comes in. I heard this illustration. I thought it was so great. If I wrote you a million dollar check and it was actually a good check uh, and I gave it to you and I said, hold that in your left hand and I gave you a quarter in your right hand Isn't it interesting that as you held that, let's just say you hold this out and you're looking at it and you bring this quarter in, you know what I see? I don't see that I'm holding a million dollars anymore. I see that I got a quarter. You know what faith does? Faith looks beyond the quarter. Faith looks beyond the cancer. Faith looks beyond the breakup. Faith looks beyond this world and it looks to the promises of God that are larger than the quarter-sized whatever it is that we're facing. Because the closer we focus on that thing, the less that we're seeing and can focus and see the beauty of the promises of God in the background who says, I hold the scepter, folks. I hold the scepter. You don't have to do this. You don't have to fall into this. You can make it through today. I hold the scepter. Quit focusing on this. And it doesn't mean that quarter's small, by the way. Some of you are wrestling with massive things in your life, but they are never larger than the promises of God. They're never larger than him himself in the middle of those things. And so we see that what needs to happen is we need to believe this, that those who trust in the Lord will never be moved or shaken. And that the scepter is always in the hand of God. And he doesn't give it away to anyone else. And it's going to be a great day because here's what's going to happen at the culmination of all things. God's going to take that scepter and he's going to hit it on the ground. And he's going to say, Satan, now you're done. Get out. Heaven and earth, be recreated. All those who have been faithful, all those who have placed their trust in me and my son over all of these years by the power of my spirit, come and be made new. And now you will be in a new heaven and new earth. That's what's going to happen one day is that he's going to take that scepter which he's holding in his hand and he is going to wield it. It speaks of Christ as the one who holds an iron scepter in his hands. And so you see that this God says to us, we'll never be moved or shaken, that we can trust in him because his power is perfect, that wickedness will not prevail. And the final thing we need to look at as we wrap up is this, is that God works all things for good. 
Do good, O Lord, to those who are good, to those who are upright in their hearts, but those who turn aside to the crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with evildoers. What he's saying is this. He's not saying that all things are good. He's not saying that all things are good. I've reminded you when my father passed that somebody tried to be good and a good um, counselor and said, Bill, you'll never get through this until you can thank God for your father's death and say that it was a good thing that happened. That's hard to wrestle around versus being able to say this. God, I trust that you have all power. But I also trust that you're all wise. And I'm not. And therefore, I am going to subordinate my own understanding to yours. And though it doesn't feel good at this moment, though there's nothing good that I can find within my spouse leaving me, there's nothing good that I can find within my father sexually abusing me as a child, there's nothing good that I can find in this addiction that I wrestle with, there's nothing good that I find it. I trust that you're good and that your ultimate purposes for my life are good. And that somehow you're working this out for good. You're taking this horrible circumstance and you're working it out for good in the land of the living. And we trust in him at that point. Do you think maybe Paul had this in mind when he was writing to the Romans in chapter 8, verse 38? When he looked and he said, 28, excuse me, Trust in the Lord to believe that God is at work in your life and that he's working all things together for good to those who trust him. Well, I don't know what's going on in your life. I'm one pastor with 400 folks around. But you do. And you know who else does? God who has his spirit dwelling within you. And what he's trying to teach you and me today is this, if you trust in me, if you trust in me, and it's not a perfect trust. By the way, when he uses the word righteous and good, it doesn't mean perfect. It means those who trust in the Lord, those who have believed in him, and it means that you're the righteous ones, that you are the ones set apart, that you are the ones who believe in his covenant promises. And what he's saying along the way to you is this, do you understand this, that you cannot be shaken and moved? That you don't have to be afraid in the middle of it. That I have you. Sometimes we are so terrified of backsliding. Sometimes you have been, and some of you have been taught in churches that have warned you of falling away. Be careful of falling away, of doing these things that you're terrified and you live this life and you're wondering that sometimes your lack of faith and your lack of trust is you're backsliding away and that God isn't going to have anything to do with you. But what God's saying to you today is in the middle of your doubt, in the middle of your distress, in the middle of all of those things have come, that he's saying, you're not going to be shaken away. That I'm on my throne. And that I'm going to take care of you. And then at the end of the day, all things are going to work together for good. You can't see it now. You can't be expected to see it now. I don't know how the death of my father at age 59 was a good thing. Can I go back and extrapolate out good things that have happened since his death? Sure. But what I have to do 
is pressed back into this. God, I have no idea why you and your economy and you and your divine wisdom decided that my dad's death was a good thing in my life and in my wife's life and in my son's life and my mom's life who's been a widow now for 22 years and in my sister's life and all the lives of the people who he ministered to. But I know this, I don't understand. But I'm going to trust you that you do. And therefore, I'm going to worship you. And I'm going to keep moving forward with my life. And I'm not just going to sit down on the curb and cry. Though there are tears that come, I'm going to keep pressing on. And you know what? When we begin to do that, we can say with the psalmist, Peace be with Jerusalem. Peace be with Israel. If you want peace, if you want to find that flourishing that we so desire in our lives, it comes from understanding where security comes from. I'm not saying don't be wise in your investments. I'm not saying don't be uh, wise in your relationships and all those good things. But I'm saying this, your security comes in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, who will not be moved, who rounds about you like mountains, who cares for you like guardians and sentinels, and who is good and is on his throne, and he's caring for you today. Is that good news? Man, I need to hear that sermon every week, right? And so do you. And you know where that comes from? I love Sinclair Ferguson, but that wasn't that difficult to figure out. Because if you picked up your Bible and you studied it, you know what you have that the great preachers and pastors of the world have? You have the Holy Spirit living within you. And it's going to look at you, and it's going to minister to you through its word, and it's going to say, Bill, you need to know something. Don't put your faith in your position in this world. Put your faith in me. Bill, I'm on my throne, and I'm not going anywhere. Bill, you can trust me today. And Bill, you can trust, even though you don't understand it, that I'm working all things together for good for those who are in Christ Jesus. And you can be at peace tonight. So close your eyes and rest. Do you want to sleep well tonight? Then understand this. God's on his throne. And your worrying and your fidgeting and your pacing around all night isn't going to change a thing about it. Let's pray.